0: Abolition. Abolition. Today.
1: Abolition. It threw most, mostly black males but also women into jail, where they become a perfect labor force, much better than slaves. If you're a slave owner, you have to, pay for, you have to keep your capital alive. If the state does it for you, it's terrific. Uh, no strikes, no disobedience, perfect labor force. A lot of the American Industrial Revolution in the late 19th or 20th century is based on that actually it pretty much lasted until the Second World War when uh, there was a need for what's called free labor in the war industry. After that come about two, two decades in which African Americans had a kind of a shot at entering the society. Uh, a black worker get a job in an auto plant, the unions were still functioning, maybe buy a small house, uh, send his kid to college or something. By the 1970s or 80s going back the criminalization of black life. The world is a vampire.
2: You just heard Noam Chomsky on prison slavery, and that was followed by the Smashing Pumpkins Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon Music. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthis. Peace, Max.
3: Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. Ready to ask you What we're going to do today, Brain <laughs> Same thing we do every day, Pinky <laughs>
2: <laughs> Trying to take over the world <laughs>
3: Rats in but the cage Despite man.
2: all our rage We're still just rats in the cage, man So, last week In the, in honor of uh, the passing of John Nipple, He's the treasurer of No exception, North Carolina And his slavery abolitionist legacy we broadcasted that episode on involuntary servitude where Max, uh, John, and I were in the Paul, uh, Paul Coffee Abolitionist Center down in South Sumter, South Carolina. It's a great episode, and it's just great hearing John's voice again. So uh, this week we're going to be joined by New Hampshire activists. That's right. New Hampshire activists, abolitionists, and organizers. Ophelia Healing Justice, and New Hampshire State Representative Amanda Bolden. No relation.
1: <laughs>
2: Ophelia and Amanda represent the grassroots organizing and legislative efforts behind New Hampshire's push to create a constitutional amendment, officially abolishing slavery in the state for the first time. Now, it's said that New Hampshire abolished slavery in 1857. We'll show how that is not true at all. And we've got the receipts. And as always, we'll tie it together with great music and spoken word and bring the voices of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation. So, Max, before we bring in our guests, uh, please share some updates on the slavery abolitionist movement. And, you know, we can also speak about our experiences out in Franklin, North Carolina with John's family.
3: Um, yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks. You know, we just brought in and hired our first full-time employee at the Abolish Slavery National Network. That's our new lead organizer, De- Dennis Febo. So he is on the job now. Um, we're planning a launch for all of the states. Uh, although their bills would be coming in at different times from January up to like June, we're uh, Uh, going to do a representation of the class of 2024 this coming January 31st, uh, which is in uh, tandem with the ratification of the 13th Amendment when it was passed by Congress on January 31st. Uh, So we're going to introduce the class of 2024, some of who are here with us today. Um, And also, uh, we are up to a lot of states, man, uh, including uh, the District of Columbia, So we've got 16 states on the table this year who are in various degrees of preparedness to get their bills in. Uh, We've got one state that's already going to be on the ballot. That's Nevada. And we also introduced uh, representatives now that we have in Washington, D.C. You may not know it, but Washington, D.C.'s charter has an exception clause in it as well, uh, put in there with the help of Abraham Lincoln himself. Uh, That was when they paid enslavers for how many slaves they lost (laughs) so we have a new lead organizer sarah uh and she is only 17 years old but she's brilliant and she with her and her family they are ready to get it done so washington dc we're about to remove slavery out of that for the first time too it's amazing when we say this first time thing People's like what i thought slavery was no it wasn't because if it was what are we doing We've already done it in seven states, mm-hmm. and we got 16 more coming, including D.C. So if it's been abolished, then what exactly are we doing, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, as you did say, we lost Brother John Knipple. He was a good man. I know him personally. I'm glad I got to speak to him before his passing. Uh, his family are good people, and they live up in North mm-hmm. Carolina. So there's kind of two veins to speak of there, one North Carolina, of course, and also the, uh, his Homegoing, because, you know, in the black community, we call it a homegoing. Uh, it was right. nice to see all of his family, his kids, his grandkids all there. So many people whose lives he had touched uh, in his 72 years here. And to see his his uh, beautiful wife, Teresa, and speak with her, it was a very touching moment. Um, I got I had to fight back tears a couple of times, you know, because we lost a good one. Right. But I understand we're going to lose a lot more good ones before we're done. Um, and we'll all meet together, in my opinion, when it's all finished. Yusuf?
2: Yeah, uh, just to ditto everything that you said, I mean, John left an amazing legacy behind and not just, you know, a family legacy, but he left a legacy of abolition in the minds and the hearts of his family, you know, and Mm -hmm. it is just in talking with them, I didn't realize how much he spoke about you and I to his family you know, in the abolition movement, and that's all they were telling me. And uh, I really, you know, would like to thank Teresa, his wife, you know, because instead of receiving flowers, she asked everyone to make donations to No Exceptions, North Carolina. And, you know, there was a moment where I was sitting in the back of the church on the reception little area, and it was just like people lined up to hand me checks, you know, for no exception in North Carolina. And I let them all know. I said, you know, by handing me this check, that now makes you a slavery abolitionist because <laughs> you're putting your money into this. And they all agreed. you know. So we have a whole uh, a whole bunch of canipples that are slavery abolitionists <laughs> now out in Western and, North Carolina. And, they and all canipple want to come. adjacent. Exactly, exactly. So they, they will be at our next meeting you know, looking to help us to abolish uh, involuntary servitude, which is just slavery by another name here in North Carolina.
3: Yeah, it was kind of mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> I told him, I said, you know, California is the largest incarcerator in the country with 30, I think it's 31 or 32 prisons, so somewhere along that line, 70 factories built into the prisons themselves. They got like 40 mm-hmm. million people. North Carolina has got a quarter of what they have in population, but they got 54 prisons. Like, what the hell are you doing with 54 prisons? But, you know, I'm driving through there on the way up North Carolina. There's always those mountains across those uh, curling roads and, you know, where the Mm drop is a thousand feet. Man, those roads drive me nuts. Anyway, we get up there and it's big old Trump signs and you see Confederate flags and you know, we stopped at a few restaurants, and we were the only people of color in there other than his, it was some Hispanic people, but we were the only black people there. So, you know, that right. was the environment of North Carolina. But man, anyway, man, man. The, it was beautiful city family, and the updates have been given. Let's go ahead and bring in our guests today, because I've been looking forward to this conversation with Ophelia and Amanda. Yeah, this, this is
2: going to be really good. So a little bit about our two guests this evening. The first is Healing Justice Organizer Ophelia Burnett. She's been a New Hampshire resident for 30 years and is currently the Healing Justice organization, Organizer for the nonprofit organization American Friends Service Committee, where she works with formerly and, and currently incarcerated individuals. She's been directly impacted by the carceral system by spending four years in a New Hampshire state prison for women. Ophelia brings her life experiences and passion to her role as a healing justice organizer. She has also decided to start her own reentry program for individuals starting over after incarceration to assist in navigating community resources for successful outcomes. And we also will be joined by New Hampshire State Representative Amanda Bolden, She's the state representative in her fifth term in the New Hampshire House of Representatives. She works full-time for a nonprofit organization that encourages young, diverse people to run for public office. In 2011, she established Shire Sharing, an all-volunteer nonprofit that provides meals to families and individuals in need throughout New Hampshire. Amanda lives in Manchester with her mother, Linda, and two dogs, Jack. And Max, that's Max with two
4: X's. (laughs) She
2: is a single parent to her son, Will, a freshman at the University of New Hampshire. As a lawmaker, Amanda has prioritized criminal justice reform, drug policy reform, sentencing, and prison reform, and overall human rights. And they both are slavery abolitionists. Welcome to the program, Ophelia and Amanda. Whoops, I did it backwards Got it welcome. How's it going? About
5: that. Hey you guys, thanks for having me Thanks for having us
3: Well, you know, we've got to know Ophelia a little bit We were together out in Colorado For the anniversary of the Abolished Slavery National Network um, And mm-hmm. uh, you are a beautiful soul Very dedicated to getting this work done And you have been doing nothing but learning Ever since we met <laughs> You know um, And you and, know what Go
5: ahead. You know what's funny, Max? I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you said learning, it just made me think of it even more, and I had to say it. When you guys first started and you said, hey, Pinky and Brain, what are you doing today? And he's like, yeah, you know, trying to take over the world. I say that all the time with my friends, so I just thought that was awesome that you guys said that. So I appreciate you guys saying that just now. Awesome. Yeah,
3: I, I was saying it, of course, in relation to the song. You know, despite all our rage, we're still just rats in a cage. Indeed, And Sister Amanda I've had some decent conversations with As well Um, One of the things that she is very proud about That I pointed out to her Well you know what I'll let you explain Mm -hmm. it Amanda
6: Well if you're getting at what I think you're getting at I want to say Yusuf you said no relations But I think (laughs) there's probably a relation If you have (laughs) American slave ancestry um, There's only so many Boldens. Sorry To break it to you, right. but we're probably like fourth or fifth cousins. Um, and I know this because, like, I've gotten on, um, I have my DNA online, and I and you DNA. can use like drop downs. and I did like the paternal line, like the drop down for paternal line, and the drop down to narrow by, um, at least 10 percent sub Saharan African DNA. And there's uh-huh. just a whole bunch of uh, much darker, complexed fourth and fifth cousins that I have mm. out there, so um. And also, when I was raised, I was told anybody who's a Bolden, no matter how they spell it, it's probably from our bloodline. So um, we should look into that. Um, but yeah, my I have ancestors who were slave owners, and um, two of them were congressmen for Virginia. And um, my fourth great grandfather, uh, James. Holden made a whole speech one day that I was able to look up the transcript for where he said it's a man's natural right to own another man. Mm. So mm. I'm really happy to ruin everything they'd ever hoped for, <laughs> not only in that regard, right. but, also, but also because I'm a woman mm. who is not married, who owns property, who's, <laughs> who um, I get to help have my own money, and I'm a lawmaker, and I, I think that they, they literally – like cry and fall over dead if they knew that.
3: (laughs) They'd be rolling over in their grave. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
6: Yeah. You rebel you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your your
2: property would have automatically been your husband's property.
6: Yeah. So there's there's a lot to be happy about in my life because I know that my own ancestors wouldn't have wanted me to have it. And, um, you know, there's so much that they wouldn't have wanted many other people to experience in life. (laughs)
3: Um, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, one of the things I want to ask you—I don't think I even have ever asked in any of our conversations—is how did you find out? Because I remember, uh, Ophelia telling me she had heard about us or something like that, and she went and looked and said, "Oh, yeah, that's right. Was it, was it? Is that how it worked out?" Tell me how this began in New Hampshire. You said, you know, we need to end slavery in New Hampshire. No. Well,
6: Okay, so, like, a few years ago, I saw 13th, the documentary, and then I put in a bill calling, it was a, a resolution calling on Congress to close the loophole, um, and that went nowhere, but it was fun, and I didn't know that there was anyone out there who, like, knew about stuff like this or cared about it, and I met Ophelia because she's always at the house. I'm on the Criminal Justice Committee, because we get to deal with a lot of bills that I find interesting and Ophelia is always there lobbying on those bills, uh, giving testimony, giving her personal experience. And we started talking. Then she told me that she runs a monthly prison abolition meeting. And I was like, what, this is a thing. Like, and I joined, and then during the meeting that we were having on Juneteenth, someone brought up, um, the abolished slavery national network and, Then I I looked
7: it up, and I was like,
3: there's no New Hampshire group, and I wrote in. And here we are. Awesome. Um, Yeah, and, you know, when we first started talking, one of the first things I've clarified is we are not prison abolitionists. We're slavery abolitionists. Um, Ophelia, you want to talk about that?
5: Yes, absolutely, um, because when you guys had your, um, you know, annual celebration in Denver, Colorado, and, you know, I'm just learning about this stuff, and, you know, we're all learning um, when it comes to this, and so when I was there, and, you know, I'm talking with you guys, and we're having our our meetings, and we're our strategizing, and things like that, you know, I thought it was just one thing, was prison abolition, and I found out there's there's four different types of um, abolition, and um, Max or Yusuf, if you can <laughs> remind me, I know there's prison abolition, there's, there's four slavery narratives. abolition, there's right. four narratives, four, okay.
3: Four narratives. Prison yes. abolition, as you said, slavery mm-hmm. abolition, as you said, then there is prison slavery abolition, um, and then there is criminal justice reform. Uh, so okay. the difference is real quick, criminal justice reform is very much you know self-evident. Uh, By changing certain things or removing little things, you can uh, reform the system to make it better. Um, Prison slavery abolition focuses primarily on the labor aspect happening in prisons, Mm -hmm. which is an $11 billion a year industry. Um, Then you have prison abolition, which is focused, of course, on dismantling the entire system and getting rid of the prisons and reimagining A world or a country that doesn't have these types of systems, and then last is slavery abolition, which is what we advocate because we see this as a crime against humanity, and we want to address it as such.
5: Amen. Amen.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and for anyone that wants to hear further on that, you can refer to our April second episode uh, from season four, episode twelve, the blind men and The Elephant, where Max breaks down all four of the narratives. You know, there's I'm there's not some sure things. if I was there that night. Was I there that night? I don't think no, I was you, there with you, you that night. No, you were night.
3: sick, I believe. That was why I did a solo. So okay. uh, yep, you, you were either sick or out for some reason, but I did a solo because you were unavailable at that point, which was cool. Uh, I got those four narratives out. But there's been some things going on in little old New Hampshire, the Shire. <laughs> you know, if you think mm-hmm. of like Hobbits and stuff <laughs> like that. But yeah, the Shire, <laughs> there's been some things going down there. Uh, one of the things that happened just recently is uh, there was an attempt to pass a law. It went through Congress, or through the House at least. It's called the Law Prohibiting Racial Profiling in Law Enforcement and Sentencing. And that was in March of 2023. Uh, I watched a video on it where they were talking about you know how there's so much racial profiling going on in the state of New Hampshire and Yusuf and I did the research and it's at, at, in two thousand nineteen, your rate of incarceration per one hundred thousand was ten to one. there's like what twenty five mm-hmm. black people in New Hampshire oh,
5: <laughs> and my the rate of, Those are funny,
3: yeah, and the <laughs> rate of incarceration is like ten to one. it doesn't mean that there's ten. Black people in prison for every one white person means per 100,000 They arrest 10 black people Versus one white person And that's crazy to even think of But that is the way it is across the whole country Any comments you want to make on that? The law or the rate?
6: Well the funny thing is that New Hampshire Usually Considers itself less racist And there's absolutely this and I'm, I'm a former Texan, right? So, like, there's just notable vibe in the in the New England area where they think that because they're inheriting being on the right side of the Civil War, that they're somehow absolved and never mm-hmm. guilty. And that's been part of the... That was a slogan that came out of a lot of the stuff in 2020 when BLM got really active in New Hampshire. Um, they said, New Hampshire is not innocent. Um, and there's there's definitely a severe thread of othering and like outsider suspicion uh, running through new hampshire because incidentally the economics of the state not a lot of people move here to begin their lives they begin their lives here incidentally and end up leaving for something better just from an economic perspective so xenophobia is really common here because so much of the population has just Always been here for generations, and a lot of people that run for office will brag on how long their families have been in the area
7: hmm. so uh,
6: there there's a definitely a theme in New Hampshire of being uh suspicious of someone who seems like they don't belong, but I think maybe Ophelia can speak to that better than I can Ophelia
5: you know. Yeah, I when you were asking that question, Max, I didn't know that you were speaking to me and Amanda, but there's this one saying that a lot of people say, you come on vacation, leave on probation, and that's been known wow. in New Hampshire for a very long time. Wow. Yeah, 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 and it's very true, you know, and being here for over 30 years, I'm 38 now, um, and doing the work that I do now, seeing so many people being incarcerated and just that cycle and a lot of the people are black and brown so you know doing this uh you know abolishing slavery um i i'm really excited about it and getting it into legislation for next year um is really important to me so and this racial profiling uh thing that you guys are talking about um i know we were like we were speaking earlier about having some type of system to show um what kind of people are being pulled over or being harassed and having some kind of system to show who are you guys pulling over? Is it black and brown people? Is it Caucasian people? And for some reason, every time we try to bring that up to have that kind of um, system, um, you know, put into place, they're like, no, we don't want to have that. But it's like, why is that? Because we know that you guys are mostly pulling over black and brown people. So that's something that, you know, I, before I started getting to this work, um, we were trying to work on for New Hampshire, but next year I'm really going to be advocating very hard to having that system put into place because I'm very curious. I mean, I already know because I work with these people being incarcerated and seeing it for myself, but there's people, I won't say their names, but they're like, well, where do you see that? Like, how do you think that it's um, only black and brown people being incarcerated? Well, look into the jails. Look into the prisons. You'll see it. You know, so um, that's, that's my opinion on that.
3: Thank you. Um, you know, ha- New Hampshire has felt that it's necessary to enact a law preventing racial profiling, not only in law enforcement, with what we call slave catchers, but also in sentencing. And we've also talked right. about how you've got these white supremacists out there that have formed organized groups uh, where they're terrorizing people with their signs over the bridges, as well mm-hmm. as uh, avoiding certain charges. So, but that's not the end of it. Uh, you know, we're not ragging on New Hampshire. We're just pulling up some of the recent stuff that's going on out there. And I've got one more I want to share with you, real quick. It's part of a clip, um, a few minutes long. It's. Charles Blow, uh, the journalist, and he's talking about how 10 New Hampshire council members resigned over a ban on CRT. Now, this happened in 2021, but that ban is in effect. It's going to be followed by Eric Clapton's This Has Got to Stop. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We are joined today by organizer Ophelia Healing Justice and New Hampshire State Representative Amanda Bolden. We'll be right back after this.
0: Abolition.
4: Abolition.
3: Republicans
0: continue their ridiculous
4: crusade to ban critical race theory no matter how it makes them look and regardless of the consequences. Yesterday, Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire lost 10 of the 17 members of his Diversity Council, including Representative Jim Majori. New New Hampshire's Republican legislature passed a bill to ban critical race theory and uh, systemic racism being taught in schools, and the governor signed it. In a letter to Governor Sununu, the resigned members wrote, it should not be taken lightly that nearly every member of the council that is not part of your administration is resigning today as we collectively see no path forward with this legislation in place. One of the provisions of the bill specifically focus on the public education system and limits how teachers can speak about racism. In a way, it makes it easier for individuals to sue local schools or teachers if they discuss racism or critical race theory in class. The real danger in this bill, the council members note, is censorship. Teachers could be afraid of getting sued for simply telling the truth in their classroom. This yes, time gotta
8: stop. Enough is enough. I can't take this BS any longer. It's gone far enough. You wanna claim my soul? You'll have to come and break down this door. I've been around a long, long time. I've seen it all and I'm used to being free. I know who I am. Try to do what's right. So lock me up and throw away the key. This time gotta stop. Enough is enough. I can't take this BS any longer. It's gone far enough. If you wanna claim my soul? You'll have to come and break down this door. Train my soul. You'll have to come and break down this door. But this time's gotta stop. Enough is enough. I can't take this beat yet any longer. It's gone far enough. You wanna train my soul? You'll have to come and break down.
0: Abolition. abolition today. Abolition. Today. Today.
2: Today. I can't take this BS any longer.
5: Oh my <laughs> god! Heard... I was just thinking. I was thinking the same thing, Yusuf. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just heard Charles Blow on the ten New Hampshire council members resigning over the ban on critical race theory, and that was accompanied by Eric Clapton's. This has got to stop, and that line—I can't take this BS anymore, man. You know, because as as he was mentioning about the banners, I realized that the judge back in June actually dismissed the complaint against them. After all of that, so I'm like, wow. This group, National Socialist Club, they also call themselves NSC-131. So uh, Ophelia...
5: Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you I get,
2: heard I, I the just, clip, and I, and I see it got you riled up already. Yeah, oh. it
5: does. I just kept on, like, that guy's name clapped, and I felt like I was getting clapped. So, like, every minute, like, clap, clap, clap. Like, I just felt like I kept on getting hit in every direction. And it's like, you know, just going back to the, you know, um Oh, my God, Um, the critical race theory. And so I remember now I know what that was. And when we were talking about it earlier, I was like, what? What are you guys talking about? I was like, oh, yeah. So that goes back to when I was telling you guys back when we were in Denver, they had this bill that was passed called the divisive concept bill, which it would prohibit teachers from talking about racism and sexism in school. And so when I started getting to know more about the, you know, the abolishing slavery and things like that, I'm like, they are really trying to just erase slavery from history. And that is a part of our history. And they're really just trying to erase all of that from like schools and things like that. And I'm like, how can they do that? And like, now they really just passed a bill here in New Hampshire called the divisive concept bill where it prohibits Mm. the teachers from talking about it. And when I heard this, um, not last year, but the year before, I'm like, can they really do that? Like, how is this even possible? And it's like, yeah, they can, you know? So it just blew my mind when I first heard about it. And it's like, it just, it just fueled me to even want to do this work even more. So that's why when I met you guys and. Even though all the stuff that you guys are teaching me with abolishing slavery and the Thirteenth Amendment is new to me, and you know with the exception clause, I'm just like you know give it to me. Like I need to know more, and I need to I need to be doing this because this is just absurd, you know. And with those guys with the um, NCR 131 or whoever they, are, they're really not that important. But I mean, I hear what you're saying. They um you know hang in the banners and they you know dismiss their case. I guess they were saying that we were we were kind of like you know um you know not going against their first amendment which is like you know freedom of speech but it's like really when is enough is enough because if black mm-hmm. people you know if black people went up there and put up like you know black people are this or whatever we'd be getting you know hung and shot down and this time the there we wouldn't even get a chance to even put a be able to get up on there before the cops come and start, you know, telling us to get down and things like that. So it's like, how is it, like, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. So, like, I'm sorry. I'm just, like, really heated right now because I just, that whole clip that you guys just played was just so much to take in all at once, you know, so.
3: I hear you. Yeah. Thank
5: you.
3: i feel you. Amanda, opinion. would you like to chime in? <laughs>
6: The, the sponsor of the House bill to ban divisive concepts, as they called it, um, I had a conversation with him a few years ago in the, the they call it the anteroom, room, but it's like a lounge for legislators behind the room where we vote. And we were between bills or something, and I was sitting with him talking about a bill I had just put in that I intended to give incarcerated people more autonomy in their health care choices. I was describing it to him, and I'm like, so this is, would enable you to get a second opinion from an outside doctor if you disagree with the prison doctor, that, that, that. and he says to me, and like, it hit me hard, he goes, how much socialism is enough, Amanda? Mm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This isn't socialism. You're the one who went to prison. Like, wow. How, how much more expensive do you think it's going to be when you pay out all these lawsuits for poor health care? And in the midst of it, all, all these people are going to die or just suffer the consequences of insufficient health care. Um, and you're, you're telling me that you're a fiscal conservative, but you're opposed to the idea of giving someone proper health care at the beginning. And you'd rather just pay the consequences at the end. When it's, for example, we had a woman in, um, in a jail in Manchester who uh, gave birth to a stillborn child on the floor of the jail. And she ended hmm. up winning a measly $40,000 payout. But there's no, you know who pays that at the end of the day is taxpayers. Right. The Supposed mm-hmm. fiscal conservatives don't want to run a humane facility, and he considers it socialism. And so it's no surprise that later on he goes to file legislation to try to interfere with even having a conversation about whether or not slavery was unethical. I mean, that's what that legislation gets to the heart of is describing and having conversations with students about whether or not these things that happened are wrong, um, which is honestly terrifying if we can't even talk to children about that. Right.
3: You know, conservatives have a couple of ideas in their heads that are uh, basically inhumane and lead to crimes against humanity. The first is that everybody who's in a jail or a prison de- must have done something to deserve to be there. Nobody's criminalized in their eyes. Everybody has is a criminal, and they uh, relate them with the worst of the worst. So even if you're in there for tax evasion or it's your third strike or if it's just jaywalking, whatever the hell it is, jaywalking. they're like, these are rapists and murderers and child molesters, and, and that's how they look at them. And the second thing is once people cross that threshold into jail and prison and get caught up in the system – any concern for them is almost completely lost, you know. Like well, people really just don't care about them, and that's what I hear when you tell me what he said. When, it, when is enough? When is socialism enough? When is it enough socialism? Because he's looking at you so, as some kind of bleeding heart liberal who cares about mm-hmm. rapists and murderers and child molesters. And I mean, comment. maybe that's not that
6: might not be too far from the truth because at the end of the day they say that it's in the state constitution in new hampshire that the purpose of incarceration or punishment in general is to reform n- not to punish There's some wording along those lines but they say to reform um and so the the intent at least in the 1700s when they you know wrote a state constitution was that when you're incarcerating people that they should come out better than they went in but that's I think almost never the case with the current incarceration system, um, and that's, that's right. It's so wacky.
3: Just this week, John Oliver did a whole segment on the health care in the prisons, which is a fascinating segment. I suggest people will watch it if they have the opportunity. But that's what you were fighting against: is that they have these monopolies, and they're in, they're incentivized incentivized. To provide less health care rather than good health care. Um, they're given a, X, a standard amount of pay for the health care they'll provide for that year and the more health care they provide, the less money they're going to make. And so you see a lot of these problems with people, like you said, end up dying in prison. Uh, I remember they had one guy had cancer, and they told him to put some kind of salve on it or whatever. Like, what what are you talking about? But in any case, I mean, this is the type of health care that they get. So you're fighting the good fight to save literal lives of people who got caught up in the system. And he's looking at you like, uh, like I said, some kind of leftist, bleeding-heart liberal who shouldn't care about those people at all. And, yeah, and if we actually want
6: them to be reformed, then why are we – in interfering with their health care. Why are we interfering with their access to mental health care? Why are we interfering with their access to uh, care related to maybe a substance misuse disorder? Um, you know, and there's and then there's the whole aspect of when you're incarcerated, if you have rent to pay, nobody pays it. If you have stuff in your apartment, your landlord puts it on the curb, at least that's kind of the vibe in New Hampshire, and then people pick at it and then the trash takes it someday. And if you're if you have a car and you stop making payments, then the bank comes and takes your car. And then by the time you get out, all you have is what they arrested you with. Um, And so the idea that prison is in any capacity reforming is bonkers. But the least that we can do for people um, is try to piecemeal through the legislative process and through outside activism, give people access to basic things to keep them afloat from a health and mental health perspective so that when they do get out maybe they have a chance at rebuilding their lives and that's a lot of what Ophelia does with the American Friends Service Committee right Ophelia Absolutely yes
3: Would you like to say anything about it Ophelia
5: Oh no just different things that I do um as far as like policy work advocating um you know I'm at the beginning stages of starting a reentry program and focusing a lot on um, individual healing. You know, they're saying that these um, facilities are departments of corrections, but they're not correcting anything like Amanda was just saying. So, you know, really focusing on when people are coming home, working on their healing, their trauma, and getting them prepared for success, you know, getting them connected with resources, you know, job training, things like that, Um, and really lessening that um, recidivism rate Um, here in New Hampshire, um, because that's one of the reasons why it's so high, because individuals like myself, I thank God for my family, my mother, who was very supportive of me Um, when I came home. A lot of individuals don't have that support system, so when they are being released, they let you go, and you're pretty much just a loose chicken just running around and they expect you to get a job, get housing, but are anybody helping you with that? Is anybody helping you get into housing? And when you're incarcerated and you come home, now you're a felon. And one of the biggest things when you're a felon, you it's hard for you to get um, housing and it's hard for you to get a job. And those are the two mm-hmm. big things that you're supposed to get when you get out. And if not, you're going back into um, into the prison. So that's why that cycle just keeps on going. And so that's one of the things that, one of the barriers that I wanna, you know, get rid of so that people can be successful is helping them with the resources, helping them with housing and really helping with that, you know, those core issues and um, healing the trauma and things like that because, you know, they're harming, they're causing more harm on individuals being incarcerated. So if I can help heal that, people will come out and be more happier and they're not going to want to come out and do, because people are having more mental issues when they come out after incarceration. And they're saying that putting people into um, prisons and jails is going to make the community safe. And actually studies show that when people are incarcerated, they come out and they're actually worse than when they went in and cause more harm and commit more serious crimes when they come out. So that is my main focus, you know, um, being the healing justice organizer that I am with American Friends Service Committee and just really being out there in community and seeing what the people want and helping with that instead of, you know, being a part of the, the broken system. And so, yeah, that's that's a lot of the work that I do.
3: As slavery well, abolitionists... thank you so much for that. Yeah. As slavery abolitionists, we are, are very uh, holistic in our perspective. We know that the system of slavery does not begin and end behind prison walls. It begins Mm -hmm. in the cradle and ends long after Mm -hmm. a person has served their time Uh, with Mm -hmm. uh, the the consequences that happen after you get out, places where you can't vote, you can't get uh, particular jobs, you can't get assistance with housing, and on and on and on. It's almost as if it is set up to capture people when they're young And exploit Mm -hmm. them when they're older and and take them out of the system so that they are now second-class citizens with no rights that can be respected. But there's some good news in all of this that just happened on September 28th. The U.N. uh, has released a report after doing uh, their own investigation. It comes from the U.N. Mechanism on Racial Justice in Law Enforcement. And I've read the report. It's... uh, quite long, but there's a few articles that have come out from the Associated Press and elsewhere. Let me read a little bit about it. They said that in all the cities we went to, we heard dozens of heartbreaking testimonies on how victims do not get justice or redress. This is not new and it's unacceptable, said Tracy Casey, an expert member of the mechanism. This is a system issue that calls for a systemic response. All actors involved, including police departments and police unions, un- uh, unions, must join forces to combat the prevailing impunity. Now, there's two words they're going to say in here you should pay attention to. First, the report found that racism in the U.S., a legacy of slavery, the slave trade, and 100 years of legalized apartheid that followed slavery's abolition continue to exist today in the form of racial profiling, police killings, and many other human rights violations. The report said that black people in America are three times more likely to be killed by police than whites, and four and a half times more likely to be incarcerated. It also said of the more than 1,000 cases of killings by police each year, only 1% result in officers being charged. If use of force regulations in the U.S. are not reformed, in accordance with uh, the international standards, many of these killings will continue. Uh, they call this a modern form of slavery, like literally in the report. They also said that this is apartheid, which has continued to this day. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been talking about here today. Uh, what you're dealing with is slavery and apartheid. Uh, let's go ahead to Amanda. Amanda. Any comments on the UN report?
6: Um, that's uh kinda of the funny thing about it is I guess New Hampshire tries to toot its own horn for uh for banning slavery in New Hampshire, um in the eighteen hundreds but not in any substantial way. Um and then they still they still allow for slavery within the carceral system. Um, in New Hampshire. And going back to like how in New England, so many people want to take credit for just happening to be in New England, you know, so long after the Civil War, they want credit uh, suggesting that their ancestors, by virtue of just living here, were somehow anti-racist or anti-slavery when, um, you know, we couldn't possibly know what their positions really were. They just lived in the area when the Civil War, you know, when that kind of fell, however it fell. Um, but there's, a, there's so many people involved in the system in, in different capacities who are um, taking credit but not willing to actually pay the effort to create game.
3: I want to read one more paragraph, and then I want to get a Ophelia's thoughts on this. Um, the other paragraph is this. It says, the report cited with profound concern instances of children of African descent being sentenced to life imprisonment pregnant women in prison, being chained during childbirth, and persons held in solitary confinement for 10 years. It also describes how some people of African descent have been prevented from voting years after completing their sentences and how some are subjected to forced labor in plantation-style prisons, which constitutes a contemporary form of slavery. Ophelia?
5: I'm just floored by by all of this, you know. Um, like I said, I'm just it's it just it's just really I'm just fathomed by all of it. I was um, uh, taking this training a couple um, months ago with the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, and I had learned about another prison where. Um, Women that would come in. This was like years and years ago, but women that were coming in that were pregnant and um, they were having babies. And obviously, it was black and brown women. And if they were pregnant, they would have their babies in the prison. Their babies were getting taken away and then buried in the back of the prison. Mm-hmm. And the it was still there. And just it's just it's just I just can't believe that a lot of this stuff. And then what what really bothers me as me being a woman of color and living in New Hampshire, and I'm just now learning about all this stuff, and that's why, like, as you guys are talking about all this stuff now, I'm just, like, in silence because I'm just, like, wow, I can't believe all this has happened, you know, to my ancestors, and, you know, and this is why they're trying to erase it from history and from the schools and things like that because they don't want people like myself to know about this and want to do something about it now for the future moving forward um it's just crazy because like I said I'm 38 years old and I'm just now learning about this and it's not like it's something that I learned in school because they barely touch on this stuff I literally had to learn it from another organization or from a training that taught me these things and it's like they come up with things like the divisive concept bill where they don't want it to be taught in schools. Like they're literally trying to erase it from history. So I'm just, like I said, I'm just, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, you know, so taken by all of this that you guys are talking about.
3: It can be frustrating, especially when we're talking about, Uh, Banning CRT is effectively a gag order on slavery, and it's the same thing they did to us in the antebellum period around the 1850s, where you weren't allowed to even talk about this issue in Congress or the Senate. Um, There was a jail term attached to speaking about it. But now what they do is they block us in our committees. They won't give us hearings. On the issue set that the people won't even get a chance to decide whether or not they want slavery in the state. So usually you have some kingpin who calls himself the committee chairman that gets to decide for the whole state whether or not that they are going to vote on ending slavery. And that's a gag order. But This was a huge thing that we just mentioned with the UN. This is an international declaration on what's going on with their own research and their own investigation coming to the same conclusions that we all have been coming to, that these are crimes against humanity beyond Mm -hmm. torture and that it's part of a system of slavery and apartheid and it has to end, you can't fix that. You, You cannot reform a crime against humanity. You have to abolish it. It's the only answer to it. And there's more good news, too. Uh, And I want to share that good news in a track we're going to play. And when we come back on the other side, I want to kill that noise about how New Hampshire abolished slavery in 1857, okay? Uh, What you're about to hear is (laughs) the passing of ACA 8 through committee in California just a couple of weeks ago. And that's going to be followed by William Lloyd Garrison's speech, No Compromise with the Evil of Slavery by Alika Hope and the Ray of Hope Project. Now, I don't have the name of the speaker speaking on behalf of ACA 8. I apologize for that. But nonetheless, we are going to share his words. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parkes and Yusuf Son. We're joined by Ophelia and Amanda out of New Hampshire, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition Abolition. The history
9: of slavery in California's prison system is directly tied to racial capitalism, white supremacy, and the subjugation of black and indigenous people. Although California no longer uses the public auction block, our current prison system still practices slavery under the guise of involuntary servitude, which is simply slavery by another name. This euphemism does not hide the fact that slavery in any form is an evil institution and has no place in California or anywhere else for that matter. It also doesn't hide the fact that the vast majority of people forced and coerced to labor in today's prison slave system are black or have indigenous ancestry. Last November, voters in four states, including Alabama, Alabama, y'all, approved ballot measures that changed their state constitutions to prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. It's imperative that this legislature allow California voters the opportunity to reject slavery in all its forms now and forever.
10: While the labor was changed to manufacturing, farming, and firefighting, the system of slavery is still largely the same cheap labor being performed by over criminalized black and brown people. The 1800s seem so far removed from 2023, but we aren't as progressive as we think we are. When I entered prison at 19, I asked my counselor to place me in school to finish my high school education. Instead, I was assigned to the Yard Crew to hold hard dirt for hours. If I would have refused to report to the Yard Crew to finish school, I would have been put on C-status. C-status is a custody level that results in loss of privileges, no phone calls, no quarterly packages, a $45 shopping limit on canteen for toiletries per month. You are only allowed out of your cell for three days a week for a total of six hours for the week to wash clothes, and if you're lucky, you can go outside if the yard is open. These status can be the difference from board denying you a day and granting your freedom. As directly impacted people, members of Sister Warrior Freedom Coalition, and our partner organizations, we know firsthand the most incarcerated people want to work. We believe they should be able to choose jobs that align with their skills to better position them to secure a job upon release, or to be able to continue their education and participate in programs that facilitate post-release success. Heard the stories of people who have gone through um, COVID and needing to essentially risk their lives for fear of the punitive measures uh, in, in terms of uh, taking away credits or impacting the way that they or being put into solitary confinement if they refuse to perform their work. Uh, so they essentially had to risk their lives or certain in order to be able to uh, ensure that they could comply and that is by definition uh, what involves involuntary servitude is. So it is time in the state of California that we make sure that we put into our Constitution the fact that we are not going to accept involuntary servitude as a fact of life for anybody and certainly not. people who are incarcerated the legacy of slavery and forced labor runs deep in california's history from the exploitation of indigenous people in spanish missions to black slaves forced to mine for gold so california entered the union as a free state free with coats around it there were more than 1,000 enslaved african americans as well as thousands of enslaved indigenous people in california at a time when the total population was just 100,000 people. Today, slavery takes on the modern form of involuntary servitude, including forced labor in prison. Slavery is wrong in all forms,
6: and California should be clear in denouncing that in our (coughs)
7: Constitution.
11: I am a believer in that portion of the Declaration of American Independence in which it is set forth as among self-evident truths that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Hence, I am an abolitionist. Convince me that one man may rightfully make another man his slave and I will no longer subscribe to the Declaration of Independence. Every slave is a stolen man, every slaveholder is a man-stealer. By no precedent, no example, no law, no compact, no purchase, no bequest, no inheritance, no combination of circumstances is slaveholding right or justifiable. While a slave remains in his fetters, the land must have no rest. Whatever sanctions his doom must be pronounced accursed. The law that makes him a chattel is to be trampled underfoot. The compact that is formed at his expense and cemented with his blood is null and void. The church that consents to his enslavement is horribly atheistical. The religion that receives to its communion the enslaver is the embodiment of all criminality. Such at least is the verdict of my own soul. On the supposition that I am to be the slave, that my wife is to be sold from me for the vilest of purposes, that my children are to be torn from my arms and disposed of to the highest bidder, like sheep in the marketplace, living or dying, defeated or victorious, be it ours to exclaim, no compromise with slavery, liberty for each, for all, forever. Abolition. Abolition.
0: Abolition. Abolition.
2: Abolition. Abolition. You just heard testimony from ACA 8 in assembly in 2023, and that was followed by William Lloyd Garrison's speech, No Compromise with the Evil of Slavery, by Alika Hope and the Ray of Hope Project. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parkers and Yusuf Hassan. Tonight our guests are uh, Ophelia and Amanda from New Hampshire. And he said it best right there in that speech Every slave is a stolen man Every slave holder is a man-stealer Can't be any, cl- yes. any uh, more plain than that So uh, I will pass it to you first uh, Amanda for any comments on uh, what you just heard in in that track
3: congratulations to california too by the way Yeah by the way they, yes, they've been working hard out there mm-hmm. really hard but well, i
6: think when it comes to humanizing the realities of enslavement um it's that's something i think that is easily glossed over in the history books and when kids are educated in schools it's hard to understand what it would feel like to be in that sort of experience. And when we're talking about, um, you know, systemic racism and the laws and systems that continue to exist today, it's hard to imagine that the people implementing those or running those systems are themselves uh, of the same mindset of uh, the people who were choosing to own other people and beat them and starve them and control their lives, but the attitudes and views and hatefulness of those people survived through the systems that they created. So we have the same prison system, almost the same laws, the same court system today with few changes over time. And it's one of those things, there's so many aspects of life where you don't question the status quo, you say to yourself, it's always been like this, this is how my family did it, or this is how my society does it. And you don't stop to question the impact that it has or whether it's necessary or whether it actually achieves the goals that it claims to, to pursue. Um, and that is the systemic racism as far as I understand it. Um, and forgetting really losing access to the real human impact of, uh, of enslavement.
3: Um, I did a mix there in that production with, William Lloyd Garrison's speech in order to show a lot of the similarities then and now, you know, and the things that we were talking about. Like, this is not a conspiracy. You're actually listening to people who are giving testimony in 2023 in California about ending Mm -hmm. involuntary servitude, which is another name for slavery. And that was, of course, followed by Lloyd Garrison. And his testimony on how he felt about it Because it's true, this is a crime against humanity If you say that you can force people To labor for free That you own their bodies That you can actually sell stocks In prison stocks And jail bonds On the open market In order for people to invest in The uh, imprisonment of others It's a slave trade now You know right. uh, Ophelia
5: no, I just never, you know, understood how some states could, you know, have this on the ballot to abolish slavery, and some states were still okay with having it and thought it was okay. Like, I just never understood that, you know, so, you know, congratulations to California for this, because, like I said, some states just thought it was still okay to have this, and I just don't understand that. Like, they just think it's okay to still have this in um in their constitution.
3: Um, I do still want to kill that noise about what New Hampshire allegedly did, but before I did, do that, I want to tag on along with California's win to New Hampshire's move forward. Uh, you uh, started the process of introducing a bill. Amanda, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, that goes back to how
6: the the funny stuff about uh, Ophelia and I coming to understand that we had similar interests, like some some just matter because I saw they came from. And as a, <laughs> I gotta say, like being a state rep in New Hampshire is not a big deal. Um, and whenever people call me representative, I'm like, no, it's just Amanda because we have the largest state legislature in the country. We have 400 state reps and the next highest Mm -hmm. is Pennsylvania with 200 and something. So it's like an obscene number of state lawmakers. So you just trip over them. And, um, but yeah, that, that aside, it's knowing like I am prone to watching John Oliver episodes and getting so pissed off and wanting to put in legislation and having to like schedule a reminder for myself (laughs) for when it's time to file legislation. And that's what happened. I, put in legislation uh, calling on Congress, U.S. Congress, to close the loophole in the 13th Amendment. And it never went anywhere. But then I met Ophelia, and and we got connected with you guys. And, um, you know, now we have legislation in the works to to initiate the process for a constitutional amendment. So constitutional amendments have to go to the the voters on the ballot um, in New Hampshire. So if we were to pass this, we'd have a measure on the ballot uh, this Let's see, next fall, we'd have a measure on the November ballot to uh, include a clause, add a clause to the state constitution explicitly banning um, enslavement and involuntary servitude.
3: I'm, I'm cheesing. Let me give you flowers real quick. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, You deserve your flowers for making this thing move forward. And you're also part of um, something else that sets precedence. In the United States, we had 25 states that had exception clauses of various degrees. And we had 25 Mm -hmm. states that had no language whatsoever. And they fell under the 13th Amendment, uh, whether it had been ratified by that state or not. So they were subject to uh, the federal amendment, which still allowed for slavery. And in mm-hmm. the states that we've done it so far, we've removed the language uh, that allow for slavery, the pro-slavery language. But there are states like your own who want to insert anti-slavery language in order to protect their citizens from the 13th Amendment itself. And that's a shame that we have to do something like that, and it comes down to state rights. But that's what you're attempting to do, which is also setting precedents. And I look forward to you achieving that goal. That's
6: right. It's well, gonna be a long process for sure, but I think it'll be a lot of excited to hear from anyone who wants to argue against this kind of change. And next week <laughs> Well, I right. think it should be noted that New Hampshire has a weird, uh pretty active um secession movement called NH Exit and sort of like Brexit and CalExit and so forth. I think there's Texas and Texas. Um, and, you know, Texas always wanted to be its own country, but um, so that, yeah, there's folks here that want to secede from the union, and I don't think they'll ever be successful. But out of the 400 state reps, there was legislation introduced last year to, to secede. And I think at 30 or so state reps voted for it, which isn't a lot. Yeah, I think it's a little south of uh, 10% there, maybe, but um, but still, that's a good number. And if New Hampshire were to ever secede, slavery would no longer be illegal in New Hampshire, and that's pretty significant.
3: That is very significant. Exactly. Uh, Not just to New Hampshire, but to the whole country. And also Mm -hmm. it has implications internationally because there's a lot of nations who have adopted our prison-for-profit model and many of them don't have the type of rights that we possess here. Even though, you know, there's crimes against humanity happening here in the United States, there's level of, levels of this. There's murder and there's brutal murder, if you, you understand where I'm coming from. And many of these other countries that have adopted this model are just outrageous with what they're doing to their citizens there. Um, I did say I wanted to kill that noise <laughs> about mm-hmm. seven and New Hampshire. So I did a little research and I found some information via letters and legislation and legislators' comments. And uh, most of it comes from slavenorth.com slash new So you can read it for yourself if you like. It's also available on our Facebook page. And we're going to tell you exactly what they did at that time. The rhetoric, of, I'm, I'm going to read down into it, not from the very beginning, but it says, the rhetoric of revolution and liberty was felt here, too, speaking of New Hampshire. But the practical effect was often wanting. In 1779, Prince Whipple, a slave of a New Hampshire Continental Army officer and 18 other blacks, sent a petition to the legislators seeking emancipation. They used revolutionary rhetoric and wrote that, Slavery was incompatible with justice, humanity, and the rights of mankind, but the petition was ignored. In 1783, (laughs) state constitution declared all men are born equal and independent with natural rights, among which are enjoying and defending life and liberty. This was very close to the language that led, via the courts, to the end of slavery in Massachusetts, but there are no judicial records from New Hampshire to indicate that this was construed there as ending slavery. Many clearly felt it did, but whether for all slaves or only to children of slaves born after 1783, it is not clear. Slaves were removed from the rolls of taxable property in 1789, but the Acts appears to have been for taxing purposes only. The 1790 census counted 158 slaves, but in 1800 there were only eight. Portsmouth traders participated legally in the slave trade until 1807. No slaves were counted for the state in 1810 and 1820, but three are listed in 1830 and one in 1840. And this here's the last part. A common accepted date. For the End of Slavery in New Hampshire is 1857, when an act was passed stating that no person, because of decent, should be disqualified from becoming a citizen of the state. The act is interpreted as (laughs) prohibiting slavery by a strict interpretation. However, slavery was outlawed only on December 6, 1865, when the 13th Amendment went into effect. Well, we know that's not true. And ratified by New Hampshire July 1, 1865. So even the language doesn't say anything about slavery at all. At no point did they come out in New Hampshire and says slavery is abolished. At no point, even with an exception. Instead, they used some vague language that might include people allowed to become a citizen of the state. But that could have applied to anyone. It could have applied to foreign nationals. It could have uh, applied to Native Americans. It didn't necessarily have anything to do with slavery. Comments?
5: No, I was waiting for that. Out of all that you were saying, Max, I was like, okay, I was waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. <laughs> never came for it to be like, yes. It's abolished. So yeah, I hear, yes. That's exactly true. It never said anything about abolishing slavery.
2: You know, when when uh, Ophelia invited me to speak to her abolition group, you know, Max, how much I love doing like a deep dive through the courts <laughs> on what can I find mm-hmm. on slavery? Absolutely nothing. I found not one case talking about slavery up in New Hampshire with the exception of there was like a judicial suggestion when it came to uh, sort of like the debtors' prisons. And the judges themselves said, oh, it's like a slippery slope, you know, that's going to have a constitutional problem down the road. But again, nothing, nothing about, you know, slavery being abolished in New Hampshire. Nowhere, and as we just discussed a few minutes ago, New Hampshire automatically follows the Thirteenth Amendment. So, yeah, yeah, that whole slavery ended in
3: 1857 or uh, 1789 or any year. year. Never, never happened. Going back to
7: going back to DLM.
6: New Hampshire with their uh, BLM slogan in New Hampshire is New Hampshire is not innocent. It should be noted that (laughs) a claim to fame sort of or infamy in New Hampshire is that we were the last state uh, in the U.S. to declare MLK Day as a state holiday in addition to it being federally recognized. So it wasn't until 1999 that that became a holiday in New Hampshire. And definitely the state held out and avoided acknowledging him and his achievements and contributions as long as possible. And that entirely comes down to state representatives like me and like I'll make Ophelia be one day. Um, it's, not, it's not like it's, um, but you know what I'm saying? There's, not, there's nothing like mysterious or nefarious that is that results in us not acknowledging MLK Day. It's literal everyday normal people living in New Hampshire who, you know, they live in the district they represent, they talk to their neighbors, they go to the same grocery stores, and they refuse to acknowledge MLK Day. Um, and that there's, So there is a, a thread that runs through um, in New Hampshire that no one uh, really likes to acknowledge, but that's definitely something BLM does, but their slogan, uh, New Hampshire, is not innocent.
3: You know, Amanda, and, you and
6: may,
3: I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
6: No, I'm sorry,
5: Max, but I know my girlfriend, Boo, is listening, but this is a perfect time for me to say this because um, I've said this before. Or Amanda, how about our slogan, live free or die? And it's like, you know, if, you know, black and black and brown people are not free, wow. I guess then we're dying. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's our slogan for New Hampshire is live free or die. So what does that tell it, you?
3: Wow. Right. Uh, Amanda, yeah. you mentioned earlier, I uh, want to say about who would argue against ending slavery. And I said, right, you got to right, tune right. in next week because next week our show is pro-slavery arguments. And I feel it's necessary for us to share them, because in 2023, Mm -hmm. as well as in the past, there's always been this argument promoting keeping slavery. And I've heard almost all of them where they, you know, I've been to the the hearings and the testimonies where senators stood up and talked about how they want to keep this system going in Ohio (laughs) and Louisiana and New Jersey and Oregon, you know, like I've heard it with my own ears that there are many out there, right? Who will argue you? And what to is death. their?
5: And, and Max, I'm sorry. What is their reasoning Because that's what I was saying. Like I don't understand how some people still want this to be like, like how is that? Like, what is their reasoning for that when they say no? Well, we want like it to said, still be like. What is their reason?
3: You got to tune in next week because it's, it can't right. be wrapped up into one sentence. You know what I mean? Or One or two sentences. It's, it's a whole yeah. scenario. We got to show it to you what these people are saying. And race is not a limiter. You got black people also giving pro-slavery arguments. There was one conservative uh, talk show host, millions of people. He's a black person, and during the period when Kanye West was talking about the 13th Amendment, uh, it should be uh, changed because of it allowed slavery as a trap door. He says, when everybody else was talking about how Kanye West was crazy and saying slavery mm-hmm. had been abolished, he said, I understand what Kanye says. I, I know what he's talking about, and he is right. But I believe that s- slavery is a great deterrent against crime. Yeah. <laughs> like what?
5: Right. That yeah.
3: Guy. Like he said, if you if you think you're going to be enslaved, you won't commit a crime.
6: Right. Right. But that's that's just, that's just North Korea reasoning. Like this is this is supposed to be the United States. We're supposed to set the standard for liberty for the for the planet. And to be talking about uh, how to handle uh, human behavior um, and crime and criminality, and then and then to basically advocate for a North Korean solution is, um, yeah, that's pretty nuts.
3: It, it is. It is absolutely nuts. Uh, so next week, that'll be our topic. We'll be sharing the pro-slavery arguments, so other people can hear what these. Nut cases are saying, and they're dangerous nut cases because they have li- li- uh, legislative influence and millions of listeners and things like that are following these uh, arguments to keep slavery. Some of them are very upfront about; others are more subtle with theirs. You know, uh, in Louisiana, their racism is right in your face, uh, but in Oregon, it was kind of less. In New Jersey, it's a little bit less. In Ohio, they were like. What do they say about uh, Oregon and Ohio? It's like those lunatics over in in, in Ohio. (laughs) Yeah. The psychopaths in Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. The psychopaths in Oregon want to get rid of slavery because they don't want child molesters to work in prison. (laughs) Like that's how they they talk all the time. Everybody's a child molester. Always to the extreme. Yes, always to the extreme. Uh, But it's not really even limited to just that area. As I said, as slavery abolitionists, we're very holistic with this. We see this happening in different sectors. It's a system that touches every aspect of U.S. life Mm -hmm. like it always has. It's inseparable Mm -hmm. from the other things. You can't have slavery without slave catchers, for instance, you know. Um, And and that's what we see happening every day. Uh, And speaking of those, there's issues going on in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That should be of Mm -hmm. our attention as well, Uh, where Mm -hmm. like in Chicago, they had a black site called the Brave Cave where they would take young black men. uh, This task force uh, would take them in there and women, too, and uh, brutalize them, abuse them, even sexually molest them, uh, Mm -hmm. deny all of their rights and interrogation without attorneys, the whole nine yards. And there was a big expose when the police chief of the past seven years finally got sick of it. uh what the council were doing behind the scenes in order to hamstring him. He had terminated a number of police who were involved with, with this. even the uh deputy chief who was under him was a part of it. He led this whole task force uh secret task force with this brave cave. Um, And he had been trying to prosecute them because they kept getting their jobs back, a number of of them coming back to work. And it turned out that the city council was denying him funding for an attorney to prosecute, like they were doing it on purpose to give these cops a way back. But I'll let him tell the whole story uh, and show you how, in every aspect, we see this slavery mentality occurring with the systemic racism So this is the Baton Rouge Chief of Police Murphy Paul and his statements On corruption and the black Site crackdown called Brave Cave You're listening to Abolition Today AbolitionToday.org with Max Parkinson and Yusuf Hassan We're joined today by Ophelia Healing Justice And North uh, New Hampshire State Representative Amanda Bolden. Just call her Amanda We'll be right back after this Abolition. 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 Abolition This is
12: Baton Rouge Chief of Police Murphy Paul above me i want you to listen to what happened at the baton rouge metro council meeting uh, when we were addressing the brave cave where i told you some Baton Rouge police officers were taking some people into this warehouse strip searching them illegally the baton rouge chief of police has been dealing with it and we the citizens want him to be the person to deal with it white council members asked this man to resign this week you hear so folks some chat in the background but i want you to listen to this video Because to me, this is what we as black people should get from black leaders in law enforcement. He's fired 14 cops. He has had eight cops resign in lieu of termination. And the reason that these people don't like what he said is because he exposed why some cops have gotten their job back, why some cops have been uh, put back into positions after he tried to get rid of them, because they fired his damn lawyers. They won't even pay his damn lawyers. Watch this.
11: This is what I'm trying to say. Uh,
12: Mr. Chambers, I apologize if it came off. Yes, sir. I
11: I want this matter resolved and I want the place shut down and I want everything, I know it's been shut down. I want it gone. And I want all of this resolved. But we can't accept the fact of where
13: everything, the buck starts and stops. So let's talk bucks. I've been quiet for four, I haven't been here seven years. I'm sorry, Mayor President, but I'm going to speak my heart on this one. So let's talk about processes. Let Let me count. 14 police officers were terminated. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, resigned under investigation. And then there's a peer. And you know what you do you strip my funding are you going to pay the attorney all the money that i already owe them for the bad cops that the civil service board where we're going to be here tomorrow and none of y'all gonna be here and y'all sitting here trying to deal off these people's emotions and some of y'all the problem gent rocker you sit there defund defund the police department's budget from a legal standpoint And then come here because i don't have legal representation and i gotta play lawyer to fight these bad actors let's talk facts let's talk facts and then what you do then you go and you appoint people to the civil service board that have direct ties to the union there are five people on the civil service board what's wrong with good law-abiding citizens. You putting people on the civil service board with direct to the ties to the union and wonder why they reverse the decisions that I make. I've been quiet, but I'm not going to be quiet no more. Where were you when they called my kids gangbangers? Where were you? You know about the pictures when they called my black boys gangbangers and I prayed for them. When the former chiefs of police sit down and share pictures of me and my girlfriend and I prayed for them where were you mocha when they went to texas to the camp they called me a because i was trying to bring reform in this police department where were you then speaking up for don't sit here and play like you don't know about this group of bodies that try to force the mayor to sit there and fire me for lies and say i only discipline white folks which is a lie don't pretend like you don't know that don't pretend like you don't know that Talk about my little black kids, and I prayed for y'all. I prayed for them. And you sit here like you different, like you not in cahoots. Because I'm going to tell you what they said. They got six of y'all in their pocket. Facts. Six of y'all in their pocket. That's what the union said. The same union tomorrow. When we have a hearing right here before this body where I said that the search and seizures were improper and illegal. How many of y'all going to be here tomorrow? when the attorneys fight and say I should not have disciplined that office I've been quiet for five and a half years but after November the 8th I'm not gonna be quiet no more I've Thank been praying chief. for y'all you think I don't know about the backdoor meetings y'all have with these people and you sit here like you some come on
12: now
13: my black boys you know how it feels for a black chief. man Chief. to have little black kids that I have to have conversations with about law enforcement and they're sharing pictures calling my kids gangbangers the same people you have these backdoor meetings do you know how that feels
2: Stop this time.
7: do you
13: know how it feels to have police officers telling other officers tell me when you see the chief out there so we can come in case he's drinking, so they can pull me over. The same people y'all have these backdoor beats with. Let's have these conversations today. And I pray for y'all. And even in my retirement when you know I'm leaving and there's gonna be accountability, you still doing what you do. Shame on you. When you go home and you think about your children, I love my black boys the same way you love theirs. Yours.
12: That is what I want from a black chief of police somebody who's willing to do the job, somebody who's willing to hold people accountable and tell the damn truth. Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
2: Abolition. Abolition. Wow. So you just heard Baton Rouge Chief of Police, Murphy Paul, his statements on corruption and the black site crackdown. That was really powerful, Uh, uh, Ophelia. I'd like to hear your uh, feedback on what you just heard.
5: Yeah, so I was just a little bit confused. So that was Murphy Paul, and he was speaking about how they were doing the um, the the black site where they were, you know, having people come in and like, you know, raping people, beating them up, and things like that. But who was he speaking to? Was he in like a city speaking? He was at city oh, council. The city council. To... Baton Rouge. City yeah. School. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Like that's. That's the kind of, you know, um, people that we want to see and, um, you know, elected officials and things like that, that we want to see take leadership instead of like, you know, being quiet in certain places and around different faces. So that's the kind of leadership that I want to see. And I respect him for that. So kudos to Murphy Paul for that.
3: Amen. Um, it, it pointed about the system pointed out the systemic racism that is happening and also showed how. The police unions, which include the prison guards, pretty much control the city council. Like you said, we got sixty out in our pockets. Amanda. Mm -hmm.
6: Well, I'm reminded of the uh, there's a I think Richie Torres was a candidate for Congress in New York State, and the uh, police union was like actively coming after him, like publicly on Twitter no shame, no embarrassment. There was nothing about it that was behind closed doors. They were um, unabashed in their uh, criticism of him. And I think they called him a lot of ugly things on social media. The willingness with some people in power to, like the confidence that they're always going to be able to maintain their power. They don't even feel like they need to hide who they are. um, Mm -hmm. is
3: Pretty shocking. And this is apparently one of the reasons why New Hampshire felt it necessary to enact a law that prohibits racial profiling and law enforcement and sentencing just this past March. Uh, this is something we see nationwide. And, you know, they were sitting there smug like they're participating in some democratic process when they know that behind closed doors they were doing the exact opposite. They were stacking the deck uh, for the people who were there as uh part of the committee to oversee this uh they had he had gotten rid of 20 policemen and some of them were getting their jobs back why because the union controls the city council
2: you mm-hmm.
3: anything
2: on that yeah i mean that's it that's exactly it you know when they're in charge with like policing themselves i mean what do you think they're gonna do you know it's that's just right. like when we're as we're trying to abolish slavery in these states and then they're saying to us well let's hear what the department of corrections has to say about this how do they feel about it like I I know, them right?
3: <laughs> excuse me slavers how do you feel about us ending slavery <laughs> <laughs> you know
6: that's funny
3: <laughs> but that's so what we have you, in with.
6: new hampshire yeah sorry in new hampshire you know it's it's small town politics no matter where you go in the state and everybody knows everybody. And again, going back to like how for economic reasons, like most people don't come here for opportunity. They just are born here and they either stay or leave. There's a whole lot of people in politics that went to high school together, that went to middle school mm-hmm. together, that,
1: you know, mm-hmm.
6: some, so-and-so's grandmother babysat them and now they're both in politics together. And um we have in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, where I live, there's a candidate for mayor right now um, who... He was—he's a Democrat, and he when he was running for state senate, he answered a candidate survey saying he supported the legalization of cannabis. But once elected to the state senate, he never voted for it once. He voted against it every single time. And now he's running for mayor, which means he'll be in charge of the police department and uh, and everything that comes from that. And I've been with his fundraisers because of my position. Yeah helping with the party and i've seen the checks that the police union writes for him and they're hefty in comparison to uh how much you would normally donate to a campaign of that size and he's you know personal friends with the union members and that's if <laughs> if there's any union that really needs a a check it's definitely police yeah. union and so the so and that's the thing is there's so many people that maybe come from a more conspiratorial perspective and they they would say that uh such and such organization has a grip on some form of government or whatever but when it comes to local politics at least in new hampshire i can personally attest that quite literally the union the heads of the police union are personal friends with the people making laws making the city ordinances that directly relate to how like they directly control how police interact with people um, in the city limits and whether, you know, what sorts of things you're going to get in trouble for. Like recently they <laughs> passed an ordinance banning people from, if you're in a city park, you can't have more than one umbrella or a shopping cart, which is its own. And going back to Jim Crow what? laws and the the, yeah, the phrasing of the 13th amendment, it's a direct mm-hmm. attack on homelessness. They're criminalizing homelessness by saying you can't have more than one umbrella, because they know they got to let you have one umbrella, because they don't Mm -hmm. want their friends getting in trouble. But once you've reached two, then they're going to assume that you're not just protecting yourself from the rain, but you're trying to survive outdoors, um, and they want to criminalize that. So there's there's so many aspects of public policy that are framed exactly uh, in the way of the 13th Amendment, where they don't want to say, they want to say it very quietly, the most important aspect of it they don't want to say we we don't want to see homeless people in our city we don't care how your problem is solved just leave um so instead they say you can't have more than one umbrella or a shopping cart (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that's coming directly from people he like that person who's running for mayor is a city alderman and he voted for that measure as an alderman uh to criminalize homelessness and now he wants to directly run the police department and it's um so even though it sounds conspiratorial it's very real there's direct right. and personal relationships between the police union and the lawmakers
3: yes it's uh very conspiratorial um and we've had that problem here in south carolina as well as across the nation they were here in south carolina until we exposed this money-making effort that they were putting together to criminalize the homeless uh they were going to create a court just for the homeless hire judges and prosecutors just for the homeless bailiffs and secretaries and on and on just for the homeless and then have uh trials where they would decide to send them to jail or not and this was at a time when they put uh those spikes on the benches that you had to pay for in order to sit on the bench or the spikes you know and doing everything they can to get rid of the homeless population here we had like 1400 homelessness homeless people or unhoused people but we only had a facility that would hold about 100 or so so, yeah, that's where they, they expand the system of slavery into different areas to get more bodies, including the jails, the immigration systems, um, the, child, uh, the the juvenile detention facilities, which are off the charts across the country. We had an interview with Dennis Fibo, the lead organizer for the ASNN now, uh, not too long ago, and he was explaining to us how in New Jersey to incarcerate a single – Teenager is six hundred and twenty something thousand dollars, six hundred and twenty a year for one child. I don't know how much it costs in New Hampshire, but I would suspect it's probably well over two hundred thousand dollars oh, a year. It's it's five
2: hundred and what was it five hundred and fifty thousand
3: five hundred and eighty thousand yeah. something outrageous five hundred
6: eighty eight
3: five hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. To incarcerate a single teenager in New Hampshire is not a cost; it's an incentive. It's like a big ass brass ring you could grab for the state, or the county, or the city for every single one of them that get put into these detention centers. Um, listen, we have about ten minutes of time that we can uh, where we can finish up here, and I want to make sure I give you both a chance to say any final comments, and of course. Uh, Talk about, you know, the bills that you've got coming up now through the ASNN. Um, But before that, I see we got a hand up. Would you be willing to take a call from your area code? Question or comment from the area code? Amanda, Ophelia, is that okay? You're saying it's the
6: 603 number?
3: Yes.
5: Yeah, that's fine.
3: All right. 4336, you're live on with Abolition Today state your name and hi.
14: will you call for Your question or comment hi my name's and uh um, i'm coming. hi i'm coming from i'm coming from um right now i'm in Fremont, but uh i usually i'm usually i stay in manchester <clears throat> and um i w- i wanted to comment on i just wanted to i wanted to highlight a part part of this whole this whole um situation and system that gets overlooked a lot and that's that like even if let's, even when this this bill passes um as far as it being implemented in the pri- actual prison centers the d o c following through and abiding by the statutes and the laws and the bills that we that get passed that's where the, that's where the problem is is because the, the laws the the laws and the bills can get passed it's ma- it's re- making sure that they that that the d o c is makes sure, making sure that they're following it because right. for example the lawmen decree has been in effect for it has been in place. They have been uh, obligated contractually for 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 years, years, and and still are not ab- are not abiding by the lawman decree. So, um, and I'm not saying this to you know make it seem hard. I'm just saying so that we as a people can get proactive and actually bring awareness to to that part of to that part of the um. You're
3: absolutely right, Giselle. Um And that is why the ASNN is very thorough what we're doing. Step one is to make slavery illegal. Step two is mm-hmm. to challenge the badges and incidents of slavery that are the practice itself, and then take those mm-hmm. to court so that those things end. Uh, we're already working with lawyers in a number of states across the country that have abolished slavery, like Alabama and Colorado, who are bringing lawsuits we're challenging executive orders, we're or challenging civil rights issues, so we've got that uh covered as well, we understand
14: Okay. yes yes on uh, um, on that on that no can am i can i say can i um comment respond to that sure okay um from my experience from my experience, I'm not gonna say all, but from my experience even even the courts even the courts uh, um our like it's like we go to court, like let's say, it's, you know, an inmate, whatever, whatever the case, whoever's suing. If it's not an official, the it's almost like the the official's word is what it is. They 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 make statements and 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 um they they go under oath under the pains and penalties of perjury and lie like it's like it's like it's nothing, and, and it's just their word is taken over over you know the rest of the people. So it's another well, you know just another challenge in the whole process that I just wanted to bring up, bring up, bring, <laughs> up, bring light to. We wish, wish us luck. I'm, 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 I'm with it too. I, we will wish
3: mean, us luck. In, yes, in challenging these badges <laughs> and incidents, all we need to do is set precedents, and we can apply it across the whole country. And we've got an army of lawyers that are attempting to do that. We've got people even going to law school just to do that. So yes, right. it, 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 certainly wish all those people luck on getting these things through. We only need to get through one yeah, or two. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for that's calling That's and that's
14: great. Thank you.
3: We appreciate your Thanks questions and comments. Um, I want to take this opportunity to give our guests a chance to say whatever they want to say to our audience, and make sure you, uh, you know, push for some support on this upcoming bill. So let's start with Sister Ophelia.
5: No, I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Griselli, for um, calling in. She's definitely with the movement. Um, She has been very supportive um, thus far, and so I just wanted to say thank you for that. And I don't know, and I don't know if we have enough time for you to kind of explain, because she is very for, like, holding um, elected officials and, you know, cops um, accountable for, you know, the the laws that they're trying to push on us and make sure they're held accountable when they don't abide by them. So when you say that the first step is to make slavery illegal. Second step is to challenge the badges and incidents. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know exactly what badges and incidents is. I don't know if you can kind of, you know, say a little quick um, definition of yes. what that is Max, um, so people know.
3: Uh, the, well, s- slavery is a system and the badges and incidents are the instances within that system. Acts mm-hmm. of systemic racism, for instance, would be mm-hmm. another. Uh, the uh, Ratio of arrest per 100,000 would be another. The fact that there's mm-hmm. one of three young black men expect to go to the prisons is another. The forced labor is another. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. abuse and the, the dehumanization, violating human rights, human rights violence, mm-hmm. all of that are badges and incidents mm-hmm. of slavery. Uh, so that's what we mean by those. All the things that come with slavery. Uh, right. Like he's, he's talking about women being shackled as they're giving birth. Those are slave-like conditions, and they need to be challenged. And when people
5: right. violate
3: these new constitutional amendments, they have to be held accountable, and that's yes. what we do.
5: which is step three. Yes, right. step three exactly. will be holding them accountable. So what right. Roselli was trying to say is, so when it comes to DOC, one step two, um, challenging the badges and incidents, you know,
1: Mm -hmm. um is done
5: if doc is not following these um you know rules then we're going to hold them accountable we we have acl we're going to start suing them and holding them accountable like they should be so that right there will hopefully that gives you the confidence um to let you know that we will be holding these people um held Accountable. accountable and Yes, held accountable. So, you know, that's why we want everybody that's listening in in right now, you know, me and Amanda, we are getting this on the ballot for, um, you know, 2024. We would like everybody to support us as much as you can. I'm going to be doing a lot of town halls and abolition network meetings to join me. I would have uh, Yusuf and Max, you know, put it on their page, on my page as well, to have you guys join us. I'll be teaching you guys a lot about this movement, what are next steps and things like that. So please join and support us, and let's, you know, let's abolish slavery. Amen. Thank, thank you,
3: Amelia. For that. Uh, Sister Amanda?
6: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess if anyone's listening, whoever finds themselves in D.C., uh, one of my uh, ancestors who was a slaveholder is memorialized in D.C. in the Congressional Cemetery. And if you'd ever like to go spit on it, um, I, you just get there before me because I've been meaning to. But every time I'm in D.C., I'm a little late. Thomas <laughs> Holden had, a, among the humans he owned and I assume abused, uh, was an eight-month-old baby, according to the slave schedule that I pulled up from 1850. And, um, yeah, he's the only only person to have died in the congressional chamber. He died mid-speech. He was in trouble for something, I guess, and was defending himself uh, trying to. And then he just dropped dead right there. So, you know, karma and all that. But um, I think that's my only (laughs) closer. (laughs) I I welcome anyone who would be interested to. Uh, thumbs down at my family history. It's a funny thing about having ancestors who are accomplished in their lives, but your family will tell you all the good things that they did and leave it to you to try to figure out the bad things, which has been, you know, what right. you're working on for a few years now.
3: Yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you to you both. It's been a pleasure to have you here with us on Abolition Today. Um, it's just been like a conversation like we said in the beginning, you know what I mean? You kind of forget that you were on air, but this is the conversation that people need to hear where uh, they understand more because this is something that most people don't know even exists. So thank you so much for joining us. Of course, we're going to be speaking more in the uh, ASNN meetings and uh, we'll have you back on air again. Uh, Before we finish off tonight and I pass it to you, Seth, for, Thanking our sponsors and guests. I did want to make a note that there has been some tragedies happening in the Middle East, right? Now i got nothing to say at this point about what's happening in the Middle East. Nothing. I want to tell random people at least, but I am fairly certain a lot of oppressed groups and people are watching and studying how this turns out and measuring the price being paid, the sacrifices being made from a perspective Mm -hmm. on the outside I know that justice delayed is justice denied. What will the mm-hmm. oppressed people do when all else has been tried? As an observer, I'm keenly reminded of the confessions of Nat Turner. Uh, with that being said, next week, check us out as we bring in the slavers' opinions and give the pro-slavery arguments some shine. Let, them, let you, you hear them yourself, and the week after that is our final episode Abolition Today Season 4 So we ask that you join us We're going to bring on some special guests And go out with a bang And we'll be back January 1st week uh, For Season 5 of Abolition Today Yusuf Wow.
2: Yeah and for what Max just said It probably was a poem We're going to have to listen to it later To see (laughs) if he was actually giving us a poem
1: But thank
2: you Ophelia Thank you Amanda Uh, Thank you Woo Woo For calling in Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMW Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge as Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Re- remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today. And our Facebook page also is abolition today. Follow us on Twitter at AbolitionToday1, and also follow the Abolish Slavery National Network at Abolition Nation on all uh, platforms. Today's Bridging the Gap is going to be something really special. They're all always special, but this week it comes from a group called African American History is American History. This is going to be episode 52 entitled Vermont, First of the 13 Colonies to Abolish Slavery, followed by We Are Messengers. Yes, we are. We are messengers. The devil is a liar. So we'll be back uh, live next Sunday, God willing, uh, Sunday, October 15th, with another masterclass on slavery, abolition. And as Max just mentioned, make sure you tune in October 22nd for our season finale. So you don't want to miss any of those. If you're a new listener, you can always go to abolitiontoday.org, catch all of our archives. We're in season four. This is episode 28. We're also on all major streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all of them. So uh, we welcome you, and we, we are thankful for you tuning in. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
15: Vermont has long been known for its independence. Before it became our 14th state, the people of Vermont were not all that excited about joining this new United States. But they also had no desire to remain a part of the British crown. Vermonters loved being independent and made that clear to the other colonies, especially when it came to slavery. On July 2nd, 1777, responding to the numerous calls from Quaker-led abolitionists to end slavery, not just in New England, but throughout the 13 colonies, Vermont became the first colony to ban it outright. Not only did Vermont's legislature agree to Abolished slavery entirely, it also moved to provide full voting rights for African American males. Earlier, in 1774, New England area colonies, Rhode Island and Connecticut, had outlawed overseas slave importation, but still allowed intercolony slave trade. On November 25, 1858, Vermont ratified an even stronger anti-slavery law into its constitution. The Freedom Act of 1858 declared that any slave brought into Vermont was free. However, this did little to end the disdain and cruelty with which black Americans were treated in the North. Each state had their own legal restrictions in place, making it difficult to damn near impossible for free blacks to find good work, own property, or even remain in the state. Now, talk about a paradox. Rhode Island, while legally ending slave importation from overseas, continued to have the highest number of slave auctions in the New England states. Additionally, Rhode Island's laws governing the treatment of African Americans, free or slave, were constantly being revised and updated, and were among the harshest in the colonies. If free blacks associated with slaves, both could be whipped. Anyone giving an African-American a cup of hard cider was leveled with a heavy fine, whipped, or both. Chapter 1 of the Constitution, titled A Declaration of the Rights of the Inhabitants of the State of Vermont, said, quote, No male person born in this country or brought from overseas ought to be holden by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice after he arrives to the age of 21 years nor female in the like manner after she arrives to the age of 18 years unless they are bound by their own consent. After they arrive to such age or bound by
11: law for the payment of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. like, Now,
15: just to be clear, Vermont's July 1777 Declaration to Abolish Slavery wasn't entirely an act of selfless compassion. While Vermont did set an independent tone from the 13 colonies, the Declaration's wording was just vague enough to let Vermont's already established slavery practices continue.
0: knowing you all were going to be this much trouble we would have picked our own fucking cotton abolition
7: every day. I'm exhausted last night I couldn't sleep but when I did I could hear bombs in my dreams nightmare situation how could they be so evil making motors out of children and innocent people we expect the bombs not knowing we're huddle in the corner of my room trying to protect my little brother as the building shakes like it's possessed but nothing stronger than the will of the oppressed i bomb back with my lyrics and rhymes living the times trying to break the palestinian mind what's hiding in the clouds hanging over my head my dad risks his life outside to buy bread the fourth war in my 12th year at this stage i'm numb though i haven't felt scared there's nothing i can do in this case Stay safe, i brave, even though this house could be in my grave. I want freedom for the population. Two million prisoners living in this location. Shouting at the wall, but nothing is ever changing. Death life under an occupation. I want freedom for the population. Two million prisoners living in this location. Shouting at the wall, but nothing is ever changing. That's life under an occupation. Mothers mourn, fighting with grief white sheets cover bodies that lie on the streets, buildings turn to ash, but my mind is made of steel, so it doesn't take much for me to heal, won't we'll lose the will to live or lose our minds, my auntie lost her home, so she lost her life, but she's still alive, but traumatized by the bombs that flew in and dropped that night, my sister couldn't sleep, tried to stop her cries, I said it was fireworks, I was telling her lies, where's the compassion, this is hard. Like they want us all living in darkness Cutting off water and electricity for hours They're knocking towers, but that's not knocking the power that I have in my pen When I'm writing, I'm unstoppable The microphone is the only escape possible Cause that's the way that I can speak my mind I wonder how does the fighter fall asleep at night Knowing he can turn the city upside down all of a sudden Slaughtering families with the push of a button I want freedom for the population Living in this location, shouting at the wall, but nothing is ever changing. That's life under an occupation. I want freedom for the population. Two million prisoners living in this location, shouting at the wall, but nothing is ever changing. That's life under an occupation.
0: Abolition, abolition,
7: abolition, abolition, abolition.